Hope everyone had a happy new year and welcome to How to College for First Gens. If you're a new listener, our goal here is to democratize knowledge that we've gained along the way, learn a bit more about the first gen experience, and hopefully help others going through some of the challenges we've experienced by sharing lessons learned from fellow first gens. I'm Luz, one of the podcast co-hosts and a first-generation student myself. Today, we will be talking about scholarships, aka free money. If one of your New Year's resolutions is to save money for college, then you'll want to pay attention. As we know, the cost of education has been on an upward trend for the past few years, and it may be intimidating to look at those prices or even imagine being able to go to college due to the cost. By applying to scholarships, fellowships, grants, and other sources of free money, you can avoid getting stuck paying the full bill. Unlike loans, scholarships don't need to be paid back, but they often do require more effort to receive. So let's hear from some fellow first-gen friends about what scholarship opportunities they came across and some lessons learned from the process of applying. Our first guest today is Mohammed, a senior at Hammond High School in Columbia, Maryland. Mohammed, why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself to our audience? Hi, everybody, and Happy New Year to everyone out there. My name is Mohammed, and I am currently a senior who attends Hammond High School in Columbia, Maryland. I'm in the process of applying to college right now, and I can't wait to speak more about the scholarship opportunities that I have been exposed to. Awesome. So why don't we go ahead and just dive right in. So when did you first learn about scholarships and when did you start applying for them? I always knew scholarships were a thing about the buzzword around college. And so I never had a full grasp of what a scholarship was or what it entailed until my junior year of high school. And I think that's when I started to learn more about what a scholarship meant. And I think it's particularly important to highlight that scholarships are means of financial security. They give you a way to actually pursue the things that you want to you know, study, you want to explore in college. And for me, that was a very very important thing to gain in order to be able to actually go to college and enjoy it without having any financial burdens on me or my family. And for me, I really began working towards scholarships during my junior year. I knew that the first thing was that I needed to have a strong academic record. So I enrolled in AP classes, honors classes. All of those are really, really great because not only did they build you up as a student, but they make you more confident in your ability to go out and apply to these scholarships and they really build your academic profile. And so for me, I didn't begin applying until my senior year. This is probably the biggest time for scholarships. This window is a really crucial point for a lot of first generation students hoping to go to college and hoping to earn scholarships. So I have a couple scholarships that I have applied to or I'm in the process of applying to. One of them is the Horatio Alger Scholarship. And I think that this scholarship in particular is so great because the foundation that backs it is really taking into consideration these students who really need the funds to attend college. The second that I apply to, the Jack Kent Cook Foundation Scholarship is due in October and is a really great scholarship. You earn roughly $40,000 per year towards your academic learning. And it's honestly such a great opportunity. The third I want to mention is actually more of a niche scholarship and comes from the Young Arts Foundation. And I know a lot of really bright and talented first generation students who could benefit from applying to niche scholarships and applying to specific competitions that will award you scholarship money. And I think for me, you know, finding my outlet as a creative person, and that goes for every single first generation creative out there, is that having an outlet to put forth your creativity, your inquisitiveness and all of that and showcase it and earn money for it is a great way to showcase not only who you are as a student, but as an artist, as a person and as somebody who really invests in their future. And I think for me, scholarships are becoming less of a, you know, I have to have perfect scores. I have to have perfect grades in order to win scholarships. Whereas it's kind of manifested into this idea or this concept that you're working towards something and you're really passionate. And I think keeping that integral aspect is so crucial to a lot of these applications and filling them out, especially because I know each and every person is definitely willing and capable of pursuing these applications and winning the money that they ultimately deserve. I think 
you bring up a really good point that a lot of these scholarships may have some common requirements, but there are a lot of these niche scholarships for people that fit a certain group or have a certain skill. Sometimes a lot of those may be overlooked because scholarships don't always get the same advertising. So how did you find some of those scholarships? Aside from the countless hours I spent internet prowling, I think most of it really came down to my friend group and this community that I have with me. I think the first thing that I did was I asked, how am I going to afford these huge, huge price tickets? And I think a lot of people have this shared concern, but finding out about these scholarships for me, it wasn't a one person type of ordeal. And I really think that stigma should be dissolved, that only you can do this or you don't require any support from anybody else. And while independence is something that is crucial and that is valued, I think that it comes down to looking at your community, your friend group, your mentors, those people in your life who guide you and aid you. It's really crucial to go out there and ask. And for me, I first found out about particular scholarships actually from my art teacher during my junior year. And I think I was in class, I was in art class and I was just painting something. She was like, you should apply. And I think that was the first push that I needed. You should apply. As in, you have somebody else who's backing you, supporting you, who's giving you information on this. And at first I was taken aback, you know, I was like, apply, apply for what? This was this, you know, new thing that I hadn't considered before. And so she helped me traverse what I think is really murky and difficult terrain of like scholarship talk. And she just told me about it. I think the biggest thing that I needed to hear was that I can apply and I should, you know, this motivation, this kind of push towards something. And for me, most of these scholarships did come about from searching on my own, maybe look up scholarships for, you know, X type of person, whatever category you fit in, whatever category you feel speaks to your character, speaks to you, who you are. I can bet you 100% that there is a scholarship out there just for you. And for me, I think that these are really, really important to getting through the entire process. I think it's that mentor and individual relationship that really grounded my want for scholarships as well as my ability to actually go out and search for them. And ultimately, I realized that there are so many opportunities and each one I fully believe should be taken to its fullest extent by the student who wants to push themselves definitely resonate me a lot. While I was in high school, I had that high school counselor that was also the same. She was like, you should apply to this scholarship and that scholarship. And I think having that person definitely helps build that confidence because then you're like, well, one, I don't want to let them down. And then two, if they think that I have a good shot at it, then maybe I do and I should give it a try. I had to put a list together for one of the scholarships that I applied to and it ended up being, I want to say over 30 or so because, I mean, you, you do have to be diligent about it. Once you find one, that you meet the requirements for, there's no reason not to apply. The worst that can happen is you don't get that money. And I think you bring up a really important point about that. If you meet the criteria, you should. There aren't any downsides. I think the biggest barrier that especially a lot of first-generation students face when applying to scholarships is that they don't feel that they are good enough. It's this imposter syndrome talking. Give a few hours of your life to just filling out that form, filling out that application. And I assure you, it will be hopefully a really amazing decision. And in the end, even if you didn't win the scholarship, which is completely fine. There are so many other ones. So I think that's like a really good thing to always keep in the back of your mind is that there aren't any things that are going to keep you back except yourself. And so breaking that mindset first and foremost is what are the hidden steps to applying to these scholarships? So what were some of the typical components that you would see in these scholarship applications that you've applied to? Most of them, most people already know, academics are probably going to be your biggest thing. And I wanted to dispel a rumor. You do not have to have straight A's. You do not have to have perfect scores. You do not need a perfect GPA. You do not need to be valedictorian to apply and to win these scholarships. What I've noticed is that the majority of these scholarships, they're looking for people who really care about learning about these particular experiences, even for the niche scholarships, particular fields. And I think one of the main components of course, is academics, but it's really that passion. And each and every scholarship will tell you you're looking for passionate leaders. You know, do your homework, do the best that you can, keep up your grades, but in the end, prioritize what you need. And yeah, academics 
are probably, for most of the scholarships I'm talking about, are probably the biggest thing. But also, I would say the second biggest thing is the essays. And this has everything to do with you and nothing to do with your grades and your scores. This is really where scholarships get to learn about you as a person, you as a learner, as a leader. They're really looking for these people who are the light, the future generation. And I think for this one, my biggest advice is to just be authentic. When they're reading all of these submissions, there is only one you. And from that enormous pool, you want to distinguish yourself in a way in which makes you personable. You know, you don't want to put up a facade or a front in order to make yourself more redeemable as a student, as a person. I think for that component, the biggest thing should be your authenticity and put those words down and have fun with writing those essays as weird as it may sound. They're honestly the biggest and probably one of the most important parts of your application. For some of these scholarships, kind of veering onto that niche and more specific contrary sort of thing. And I think for that, it is particularly about ways in which you can express your circumstances. Some scholarships will ask for financial information. Some will ask about your extracurricular information, your involvement. This is where your actual leadership shows up. And I think this is unspoken about portion, but it is really crucial to your scholarships. And I think for those scholarships that do include that information, they want to see you more than just a student. They want to see you as an active part of your community and somebody who is going out of their way to make change themselves for others in any way that they can. And I would say the other parts are kind of brought down to the specific scholarships you're applying to. But I think those are the main components. Your academics, while they're not all of you, they are a great component into showcasing the type of student you are. Your essays, this is where they get to learn about you as a person and your character. And then your involvement in your community. This shows dedication, initiative, leadership. And I think keeping those components in mind is crucial to, you know, going forth and actually applying to these scholarships. I would definitely agree. And yeah, those college essays a lot of times are one of the main components or what is weighed the heaviest. I know for one, I think it was like an engineering scholarship and the prompt was something along the lines of who made the biggest impact, like which women engineers and mentors. And I remember writing about the lady that invented chocolate chip cookies, which had nothing to do with engineering. And I remember when I did get that scholarship that that was brought up, that it was such a unique essay and like really help stand out from the rest so that was really cool to be able to see how putting in that extra effort and that authenticity that you're mentioning really pays off and one other thing that I'd like to add that is often also a requirement or letters of recommendation either with teachers or counselors or local leaders like if you're involved in your church or because I think that also helps show that leadership ability and passion for some of those other things outside of the school and grades. Yeah, those letters of recommendation. I'm so glad you brought them up. They're so crucial. They give you a great excuse to be more friendly with your teachers. And I wouldn't say this is an exclusive thing, <laughs> but definitely get to know your teachers, your teachers, your coaches, your community leaders. They're there for you. They're perfect mentors. You know, just establish a relationship with them as early as you can. Letters of recommendation are just the amalgamation of the experiences that you both have had and they're kind of speaking on your behalf about why you're such an awesome person. Go forth and make those relationships. Be close with your teachers, your mentors, your community leaders, because it is so important, even down the line. So it is a really great opportunity to just get to know people beyond the classroom. I definitely found it helpful to establish those relationships. More so when I was asking for help on homework for my teachers, I would start off with just getting to know them by asking them questions about what they talked about in, in class. And then as I kept coming back and kept coming back, I would get to know them. And then they would see someone that cares about learning the material. And so that's where you start establishing those relationships that you can then evolve it into like a mentor-mentee relationship. And these people will really vouch for you. I think a lot of times as first gens, we often don't give ourselves enough credit. And that's where these relationships can really help out in these applications, because they're going to give you the full credit that you want in your own application. And so it's definitely very important to build those relationships. So what are some of those lessons learned that have helped you as you've been applying to scholarships? 
think you brought this up earlier, but making a list is probably one of the best decisions I've ever made in regards to applying to scholarships. I think it's really great to keep that organized because it keeps you in check. When you go look back at your document, you're going to see that you have a list already prepared, which gives you reassurance. And it also keeps you in check if there are any updates you need to send. I know some students will send updates to the scholarship application. Keeping track of all of that and especially being organized is so important. I think the second thing that comes to mind is trying to find your theme. When I mean theme, I mean, what message are you really trying to convey to these places? Who are you as a person? Who are you as a student? And what do you hope to give back to the community? I think that's one of the biggest questions people need to ask themselves. This scholarship is giving something to you. Are you going to be a mentor in the future? Do you want to do a specific career field, want to get involved in that, you know, put that in there, share your passions, share your goals, share about what you can contribute. Making sense of all of that is really important in your application and establishing that being that sort of message that you want to convey. And I think moving on to the third topic is self-doubt. And I know scholarships are a big thing. Rejection is fearful to all of us. But as one of my mentors says, rejection is redirection. So in a sense, this is going to open more doors for you. Don't let it override you. Don't let it dissuade you. Because even applying to the scholarship is the biggest thing in and of itself. It requires the most confidence. Putting yourself out there as a student as a person, as a leader, as a contributor to your community. All of that is really tough, especially for people so young to do, and especially for first-generation students, since this is all new to us, really. I think having that message in the back of your head that you are more than a letter of acceptance, rejection, you are a person, I think that lesson has probably helped me the most. Your worth is just as important as you filling out that application, you're going to move forward and you're going to apply to more and you're going to be successful. I think that's the basic takeaway. You're going to be successful. Not only can that be measured in money, but that can also be measured in all of these things, bringing the conversation to the table, having that open and making sure to keep in mind that you are worthy. I think all of that is really crucial. And I want to say scholarships are not your only source. There are a lot of really great people out there, a lot of really great schools that offer great financial aid, that offer grants, that offer money that is probably not as stringent. And scholarships are not only those big scholarships. You have local scholarships, you have regional scholarships. Apply to those are just as important. Oh my gosh, I don't think I could have said that any better. That was so well put. Such great tips. Once you get over those initial self-doubt thoughts, then you can really take off running. And as you mentioned, the more you do this, the more you, you learn about yourself and the better you get at just writing essays and more coherently telling your story. And I'm so glad you brought that up because I think you're right. I think a lot of those local scholarships don't get enough attention and so often much less people are applying to. So it might actually be one that's more likely that you can get. And then I also wanted to mention a couple other scholarship programs that I think are for that undergraduate education. I don't know if you've heard of them or are familiar with them, but one big one is the Questbridge National College Match. That one is essentially a full ride to the partner schools for that particular program. And then the other one I wanted to mention was the Gates Millennium Scholars Program. Thank you for that. Yeah, definitely. Well, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast. I think you offered a lot of really great wisdom and tips for our listeners. Thank you for having me. I can't wait to see everybody go out and dominate those scholarship opportunities. Up next, we have Jennifer, a junior at Stanford University studying mechanical engineering. Jennifer, why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself? My name is Jennifer Lagardo, and I'm currently a student at Stanford University studying mechanical engineering and minoring in aerospace engineering. Both of my parents grew up in Mexico, and actually I have three older siblings, one older sister and two older brothers, and they were all born in Mexico, so I'm the only one who was born in the U.S. My siblings are all in the STEM field, so that encouraged me and 
gave me a new perspective on that field, which also influenced my passion and love for engineering. So right now, I'm just dedicated to problem solving and helping others and just doing the best I can. So as long as I'm creating or solving a problem, I'm really happy. So I've delved into computer science. I've done electrical engineering. I've done aerospace engineering and mechanical, but I haven't set myself on a specific field yet. Still in the process of exploring and just seeing what field I want to end up in. Very, very cool. So let's go ahead and dive into the topic at hand today. Why don't you first start with just telling us about when did you even learn about there being scholarships and what they were? I think I really learned my sophomore year of high school because I got really close to my pre-calculus honors teacher. As I interacted more with that professor, he became my mentor. I had already kind of known a bit about scholarships because my siblings had thrown it around, but no one sat down and told me, hey, like, this is what you can do. It was kind of like my sophomore year of high school. I was sitting there and then my professor mentioned like, hey, no, you're not a senior yet, but the school gives some small scholarships for students who are juniors and seniors. You should look into that because next year you'll be a junior. So then after that, I got curious and I started searching on my own. And there was various scholarships, like scholarships where you you read a book and you wrote about it, or you could write a poem and if it was, it would stand out, then you'd get one. There was also like the Google one where you would design something. And so I just thought it was very amazing that there was just so many out there. And it's very much something that's not really mentioned. It was the first time that I took the initiative to learn more. So how did you find them? Did you just go to Google and be like, scholarships? Definitely just Google that. And it was like for high school students. And then there's like various different websites. The ones that I trusted were the ones that they would give you the link to the direct owners of that scholarship. And that's more safe than applying somewhere on like a weird website. Did your college counselor ever give you scholarship information or did you have other people knew about scholarships and threw them your way? A little bit was definitely some of my peers. As you talk to them, it would come up in conversation or if they were asking like a professor for a recommendation, they'd explain themselves. So I think that was helpful. But also my school had this student union where they also had college experts, quote unquote. They weren't recruiters, but they had experience. They were like counselors, but they weren't really assigned to a certain grade. Or sometimes through clubs, I was actually president of the California Scholarship Federation. In that club, I actually researched different scholarships and send them out to my members, encourage them to apply. Our school had a chapter, and this was a bigger organization that was California-specific, but I think it's overreaches among other states. It was all connected to the National Society. And then there was a scholarship that actually came when you took the SAT, but I know they're not really doing that anymore. But at the time, that's something I wish I would have taken a bit more seriously because I remember I didn't study too much for what was known as the PSAT. Because at the time I was in a robotics club and an engineering club, I remember that night I had to do like a design project. And instead of spending the week studying for that, I was like, oh, well, it's not the real one. It's fine. I just did my report and my design and everything. And then I showed up. So I remember I was like, oh, wow. And then I found out about that. And I was like, oh, no. (laughs) So what were some of these scholarships that you actually applied to while you were in high school? I didn't really apply to a lot of, I don't remember why I didn't apply, but I think at the time I was just very focused in engineering. So I guess that's one of the mistakes that I made because at the time I was like, oh, well, I don't really need to apply for it now. I can apply in college. But I think that was one of the mistakes that I wish I wouldn't have thought I should have just applied because I was telling other people, yeah, you should apply, you should apply. But I didn't really do it myself. It's like when you give good advice, but you don't take your own advice. I was just so focused on doing a project or this. And I was like, I'll do it next year. And then senior year rolled around. And I think I did apply to ones that my school gave. And those I did get. It was like 500 in total. Actually, there was a tragedy that happened because I remember I was applying to the Edison scholarship and I missed the deadline, but I had it all done. I think that one's still around and... Yeah, there's definitely just so many. I think that's also 
a con because sometimes there's just like so many options that you get a bit overwhelmed that's a very interesting approach that you had because i actually had the opposite approach i was like i don't know like any scholarships that you get while you're in college well i need to apply while i'm in high school so i need to get this money now otherwise there is no going to college because i won't be able to afford it i think part of it was that i was in mesa mathematical engineering science achievement club and one of the head counselors there is always like oh just as long as you do well ucla will pay your school like they'll want you there so i guess at the time i was like okay i'll just build some stuff do good in my classes and i should be fine (laughs) but now that i think about that i think that was like putting all my eggs in one basket so i definitely don't recommend that (laughs) now that you are in college what has that process been like of both looking for them and applying to scholarship My freshman year, that's when I started finding out more about them. And that was just basically from past programs. I was able to do a STEM outreach program over the summer before I transitioned to Stanford. And in that program, one of the advisors would send us emails. Oh, you guys would probably be able to get this scholarship. And then I also enrolled in different clubs. Right now, I'm part of the Society of Latino Engineers. And if there's any offers or job and internship opportunities, they send it over. Did you apply to Stanford-specific scholarships? Because I know a lot of times for some schools, when you apply to the school, that same application is what's used for your scholarship application. But that's not always the case. Sometimes they have a completely separate application if you want to apply for scholarships. For my school, since it's private, it's like mostly need-based or merit-based. So kind of like what you apply and then what your parents' finances are, where they'll try to help you out to at least minimize the cost. So they don't really have that many internal scholarships, but they do offer research and work-study opportunities where they can actually help come up with the money if you really need it. That's sort of how Rice was, because it's also a private school. Because actually for me, what ended up happening after I did get all of that money from all those scholarships I applied to in high school, and I had all this money extra. And then when I got to Rice, they're like, oh, your EFC is zero. So we're going to meet all of the financial need. And so I ended up essentially going for a full ride to Rice. So then I didn't have to worry about getting more scholarships. But because I had applied to all this all these scholarships beforehand, I ended up getting money back to buy books or whatever because Rice had met all this other financial need. Well, something weird that, well, I didn't find out till this year actually was that you have to be careful with how many scholarships you get because sometimes what actually happens is that if it's need base it's basically like if you are showing that hey like this is how many scholarships i got this year they suppose that hey maybe next year they'll get the similar amount so what they'll do is you won't really get the money back they'll just decrease the scholarship they gave you yeah i've heard that before where people like end up getting less money because of scholarships i don't know if that's like a school to school thing that you know you have to keep in mind because i think maybe some schools do it one way and other schools do it a different way some will require that you report every single scholarship and based on that sometimes if it has an option where you tell them like is this like an annual scholarship or like a one-time thing that they might just deduct it for that time that you get the scholarship but not other times so it really depends i think on the school and how they approach that this year i actually came across that problem because i got four different scholarships and it ended up adding to like 30k it was a little more than I needed to cover my year and I had to call the scholarship call my school and tell my scholarship you know what actually move that to next year and then some of them were like okay because of the situation but others were like well um you might have to renounce to it and so right now I'm still on the process of trying to arrange that I was a little bummed out because Sometimes parts of the scholarship is not only the money, but it's really like the whole experience. Like I applied to Great Minds in STEM and theirs is really nice because not only do you get a money, but you get a sponsor and you get to meet that sponsor. And sometimes that sponsor gives you like internship opportunities and mentorship. And definitely a big thing of Great Minds in STEM is that they take you to their conference, which gives you access to the career fair where, where you really get interviewing experience, mentorship experience. And it's like, even if they just gave you that, it's like that is just so valuable for like your entire college career. 
Yeah. And I think a lot of times people forget that with a scholarship, sometimes there's a lot of these other added benefits, whether it's going to conferences or being put in sort of mentoring program or you line up an internship or just just the networking itself with that scholarship organization. There's all these added benefits that come from getting a scholarship. It's not just about the free money. So what have been some of these scholarships that you have gotten? The other one was the Silicon Valley Latino in technology scholarship, which is basic anyone in the Silicon Valley area can apply. That one was mostly money-based. So once you submitted your application and you kind of answered all their questions, they would call you up for a small interview and then they would let you know like, hey, you got it. And then they would kind of like send you transcripts, make sure you're enrolled and make sure your GPA doesn't drop. And then the other one was the Hispanic Scholarship Fund which was actually really nice because that one gave the opportunity to go to these different conferences. So I ended up going to the STEM one, but they also gave me the opportunity to, if if I wanted to, I could go to the financial one or the like media one, which is pretty cool because it feels like when you have a particular major, you can't really see what life is on the other side. Knowing like I'm mechanical, I wasn't expecting like, oh yeah, come to our finance conference, learn all about it. I thought that was pretty cool. Uh, Or even like the social media one. It gives you a different perspective and it, it reminds you that you have a major, but that's not really like what you have to do. And then the last one that I got was the high tech scholarship. And that one, I just had to go to another conference and that one was more technology based as well. Well, actually, I think all these scholarships were like STEM technology based, but that's definitely not representative of all the scholarships out there. There's definitely way more. But for high tech, I actually got a mentor and was able to go to this conference and they still call me up for like events. So it's like a year long partnership. So it's pretty cool because it's an outlet to all this information and support. So how did you find all of these scholarships? Was it the same way, you know, just getting on Google scholarships for college students or did you have someone helping you out? Silicon Valley Latino and technology one. I think my, I remember one of my counselors from that supports the, I guess our chef chapter sent that over since we were in the area. And then high tech, I actually learned from someone else who had gotten it. And they were like, yeah, you should apply because I think you would fit into it because it's basically demonstrating leadership or a passion for engineering. So they're like, yeah, I think you've definitely done a few things that would represent that you should apply. And then for the Great Minds in STEM was one of my counselors also just sent that over. And then the Hispanic Scholarship Fund, that one I did search for it because I think I had heard bits and pieces about it, but Googling definitely like scholarships, at least for STEM, it, there's like a lot if you search, oh, engineering scholarships, and there's a lot that pop up. And it's pretty cool. There's definitely so many for every field. And did you ever lose a scholarship, maybe due to some requirements? Because at least for me, when I was going through school, I think the first year, like the first semester ended up being quite an adjustment. So it was really rough. And I had like one scholarship that had like a GPA requirement and I ended up getting just below that. So they ended up taking it away. Or did you have any scholarships that had special requirements that you had to keep in mind after you'd received the scholarship? very relatable to this year was I was planning on taking a year off because I didn't want to be studying online because I felt like a lot of my classes would be more beneficial in person. But as the uncertainty increased and it just seemed like, oh, it might be more than just this year online, I figured, okay, I'll keep going. But when I was thinking of taking my year off, all my scholarships were kind of like, whoa, whoa there, like... (laughs) Don't, I don't think that's a good idea because a lot of their requirements was like maintain at least a 3.0. Be like a full-time student. Yeah. And then it's like, even when you call them, hey, well, what about next year? They were like, oh, I don't know. I didn't even think about how COVID would affect the whole scholarship system. So what would be some of those lesson learned or just tidbits that you would offer our audience about the whole process of getting scholarships, applying to scholarships, finding scholarships? 
My philosophy is always it's better to have a bit more than less. So definitely apply to anything that you find that fits what you're doing and that you're interested in. Because in the end of the day, even if you don't get it, if you got experience writing something, something that's very good about all these scholarships is that it does take a little an amount of work. But what makes it easier is the more you apply, the more you kind of also learn about yourself because some of those questions, they really get you to sit down and think about your career, what you want to do. And that's something that we don't really do unless we're told to. Like we kind of have an idea, but it's different when you have to sit there and write about it. And sometimes you'll be sitting there like, I don't know, like, what do I want this? Also, having a page of everything you've done is very useful because then you can copy and paste or extract and you don't have to sit there and waste time all the time thinking, oh, like, what what did I do? I totally had that when I was doing it, too. I had this one Word document where I would just put all of the essay prompts. And a lot of times, essay prompts would be super similar that I'd be able to take a previous one and maybe just update it a little bit or tailor it to that particular scholarship. That it, it definitely made things so much easier, just keeping it all in one place. I found that so helpful. And then sometimes you're even able to add on to it. Or if you know that that particular essay gave you a scholarship, then you know, okay, that that one is like good. Like, let's try to make that one better. <laughs> yeah, that would be one of the tips and that um start early and definitely don't put things off. I think that was like one of my biggest mistakes. I know in high school, there was definitely way more scholarships than there was in college so yeah I definitely say as soon as like sophomore year or even freshman if you can I don't think it would hurt to start applying to as much as you can and it also gives you some insight to your professors that you'll need for college apps anyway so you can just go and ask them like could you give me a letter of rec and it could start like that closer bond at an earlier stage in high school than junior senior year when you need to apply to college and going off of that a little bit so what were some of these common requirements of scholarships i mean we've mentioned doing essays but what other things were pretty common that you would see in these applications I think mostly every application that I've come across or even help people with, they always want to see some type of leadership skills. And I think it all comes down to doing what you enjoy, but doing something. And they want to award people who go out of their way to do something and start something and really like feed their passion or give back to the community. Because in the end, I guess the way they see it is that those people are the people who are going to keep moving, keep challenging themselves and keep adapting. So I think volunteering or just following a passion and just showing that every day you put your best is all you need to be really successful and satisfy all their requirements. Because sometimes they'll ask you like, what extracurriculars have you done? What awards have you won? And they really want to see that you have that motivation and that passion to push yourselves and keep going, that you won't just get the scholarship and stop there. Like they want to see people that will eventually like shape the world. And I think that's probably one of the main reasons why doing these scholarship applications will require that extra effort because the people giving these scholarships out want to know that the people that are receiving them are worthwhile. Okay, well, I think that is everything that I have unless there's any other tips you want to provide our audience. I would say that definitely networking with people who are in places ahead of you, as in if you're a freshman, talking to your juniors and seniors. I think sometimes we don't really ask them like, oh, what have you done? We tend to not have that conversations come up, but I think they're really important because there's so many scholarships to even begin to name all of them. But beyond that, it's even better when you have someone who's already gotten it or has gone there because not only will they tell you, hey, like, this is what I did, but they'll also be able to give you an insight to this scholarship you might have not known that existed. I also think that definitely not to be afraid of asking people who are in more experienced because I feel like when you're asking them, you kind of feel like, I don't know, maybe I'm like bothering them or maybe they don't want to help but actually 
now that I'm helping freshmen, I actually love it. I love when they ask because then I'm like, oh my God, I can help you prevent my mistakes. Like, I don't know, it feels like a second opportunity in life. So I think that's very insightful just to know that, you know what, more likely than not, they're actually going to be very excited to talk to you and tell you what you could do. Well, thank you so much, Jennifer, for being on our podcast today and sharing some of these tips and great advice. Yeah, thank you for having me. Our final guest today is Heather, a college grad from the University of Virginia and a current graduate student at the University of Michigan, pursuing a dual master's in business administration and master's in public policy. Heather, why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself to our audience? Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. So my name is Heather Berg. I am a 2015 graduate of the University of Virginia. My undergraduate degree was in leadership and public policy. And I just started graduate school at the University of Michigan, where I am pursuing a MPP, which is a master's in public policy, and an MBA, which is a master's in business administration. So I'm completing two different graduate programs. One of the programs is fully funded. The other I have a partial scholarship for. A bit about my background prior to starting graduate school, education has always been a really big part of my life and my career trajectory. So obviously, as a first-generation college student, education has always been something that has been extremely important to me and has been a really powerful tool in my own life in helping me overcome different obstacles. And so I have really dedicated my career to education. I started teaching in Nashville and then worked in education policy in D.C. I did some research for local government on the school to prison pipeline, which is looking at suspensions and expulsions in DC schools, uh, produced some recommendations that ultimately ended up going all the way through to law, which is really exciting, and worked after that for about two years in the education nonprofit space doing research. So that was a bit about what I was doing before. And I started my graduate program this past August up in Ann Arbor in Michigan. That sounds kind of intense. So one quick question I had is, why did you even decide to go to graduate school? I think it's something that I had been contemplating for a long time, probably since I was an undergrad. I knew that I wanted to go to graduate school at some point, but I didn't really know what that would look like or what program would be right for me. And so I went out immediately into the workforce. I first took my GRE a year or so after I graduated undergrad, but just sort of because of how my job transitions shook out, it ended up not being the right time for me to go, which of course kind of begs the question of when is it the right time to go? And I think for me, it was just, I realized at a certain point when I was applying for jobs that I felt like I was sort of hitting a dead end where all these recruiters were getting back to me and saying, you have a really great background. We love the work that you've done, but we have plenty of candidates that have this experience and also have master's degrees. And so it was a not so subtle indicator for me that it was time to go back, pursue another degree and help get myself some of the skills that would help me compete in the workforce. So from there, the question was really more of what program do I want to go into and what's really going to help me advance in the ways that I want to move in my career. That's something I've also been contemplating for a while. And one of the questions that I've always had is, how do I even fund this? I don't know how to go about get the money to go. I mean, I'm saving at my job right now to go to grad school eventually. But what are these other ways that people can utilize to fund their education? It is a really good question. And I know it was weighing really big on my mind when I was applying. The first thing that you sort of have to consider is whether you want to fully take time out of the workforce or if you want to balance a part-time and full-time program. So that looks different at every school. Some schools are more flexible with allowing you to work and they have more classes that are scheduled in the evenings and things like that. So you can continue working to pay for more of your cost of living and things along those lines. I ended up deciding to fully leave the workforce and go full-time for a few years. Going through that decision and having to say, okay, I have a paycheck. I'm used to being able to go out and meet with my friends. And how am I going to remove myself? Weighed really heavily on how I was deciding to go to graduate school. So as I started doing my research, I think cost was a really big part of the decision. I think a lot of the funding for graduate school relative to undergraduate tends to be more merit-based. So it looks really different from school to school. So some schools will have individual fellowships or scholarships or 
different grants that you can apply for as you are applying for the school itself. With a lot of schools, you are automatically considered for funding with your application. So most schools will look at your application and they have what they call a holistic process where they say, okay, what do we know about this applicant? How much do we really want them to be a part of our class? What do they really bring and how do they balance out the rest of the cohort that we're trying to bring in this year. And based on that, a lot of schools will have different institutional allowances, so to speak, and they can give out a certain amount of scholarship dollars. Now, that is very different school to school. When you start talking to admissions counselors and students, you start to piece out some of the differences from school to school. So as you're asking questions, whether that is at an admissions fair event or over email with an admissions officer or by finding students who went to that school, either through the website or through your networks, you'll start to find out, you know, this school tends to not offer as much money. This school tends to be more generous. And so you start to get a sense of what schools are able to provide on their own. And then you can figure out, okay, what will I need to supplement other than that, either by finding outside scholarships, by saving or by working while I'm in graduate school. Gotcha. I think one thing that you pointed out that's really important is that you have to have these conversations with the admissions people and with the people that you're thinking of doing these graduate programs with, because if you don't start that communication, like you're not going to get those little fine-tuned details of differences between school to school. And I think in addition to talking to people that work for the school, I always found it really helpful to talk to students as well. You have to remember at the end of the day, admissions officers are there to sell their school to you. And that can have its own benefits. But students can often give you the more realistic perspective of what it actually feels like when you are a student there. And they can sort of help you figure out how they navigated the specifics when they were applying. So I found that both were really helpful in different circumstances. It's a really great point because you'll get that experience from the current student of what it's like to even be there, what the atmosphere is, the environment, the culture of the school, and then also some of that general advice. So this is how they personally funded it. So yeah, and I found that with scholarships and finding money in general, a lot of it comes from word of mouth. And so the more people I think you talk to, the more you'll learn about other ways that other people also funded their own education. Money is one of those weird things where we're all thinking about it all the time and it weighs into all of our decisions and we still have this fear of talking about it. Like it makes us really anxious and uncomfortable to ask people how they funded school or how they're affording just cost of living stuff as a graduate student. But all of us are dealing with that. You know, we're all trying to figure out how to be broke graduate students. People are more willing to open up than I think I expected when I started having these conversations. That's good to know. Definitely something that everyone's going through. Everyone's trying to make sure that they can fund. And it's also kind of nice to remember that you're not the only one struggling to maybe make ends meet here and there. Oh, definitely not. All of us are struggling a bit in grad school in terms of finances. So it's definitely helpful, I think, to just open up that line of conversation and just be honest and transparent with people. So I know there's a pretty big difference between getting a master's program and a PhD program in terms of funding. So how did you decide that you were going to do a master's instead? The decision for me between a master's and a PhD wasn't as much about funding, just because I think that in terms of what I wanted to get out of my career, a PhD didn't make as much sense. I didn't want to go into a very research extensive position. I was mostly pursuing master's programs. And so for me, it was more of whittling down. I researched law school. I'm in public policy school and business school right now. I researched master's schools of education. I, I looked at all sorts of different master's programs. And so when you did decide to do the master's, what financing your degree a major concern or how did you go about just tackling that particular aspect? Oh, 100%. It was such a, I, I had no idea how I was going to afford it. I was blindsided. I think anybody listening to this podcast will be in much better shape than I was because I really had no idea how it was going to shake out until I really got into the, the meat and bones of filling out my applications. So I think the big thing to remember is that most schools will have some form of institutional funding. But again, this varies really widely. And then for me, I just started looking at all the different schools that I was interested in, looking at first the big picture, what is tuition? Am I allowed to go part-time? What is the cost of living in the city that I'll be moving to? And then I just started, I mean, I think the first place that you sort of start when you're looking at how to fund is you go to the schools that you're looking at and you go to their financial aid pages and you see what they have to offer. So that'll often be a combination of scholarships, grants, and fellowships. And you can see if there are any there that seem to speak to you, your background, your interests. A lot of those tend to be merit-based. So that I, I know for me, my background was primarily in education and social policy. And so most of the scholarships that I ended up applying for 
were either for students who had backgrounds in education policy, students that with a background and interest in local government. And again, this will look different from program to program and school to school, but you can start to find ones where you're like, oh yeah, that sounds like me. I'm qualified for that. Or even, I don't know if I'm qualified for that, but I'm just going to throw my hat in the ring anyway, because if you don't apply the answer, always no. So my advice is always apply for everything that you think you're even remotely qualified for, because if you don't apply, then you're definitely not going to get it. And if you do, then it could work out really well in your favor. So I have two follow-up questions. The first one, what was your timeline like when did you start looking at scholarships when did you start applying and then my other one is which ones did you end up actually applying to and how did you find them so in terms of how I found different schools you have to do what I call like backwards planning backwards design right you have to ask yourself what do I really want to get out of this I knew for me, I felt like my background was primarily qualitative. I wanted to pick up more quantitative skills that I felt would make me more marketable for different careers. And I also felt like I really enjoyed the work that I had done in local government and in nonprofits, but I felt like I can really scale out my impact if I explore this sort of intersection between the public and the private sector. So I wanted to find programs that would allow me to do that. My interests were in education and education policy. So that could have led me to a school of education. So I ended up applying to both Harvard and Stanford's Graduate School of Education, as well as Columbia Teachers College. Or that could be going into a broader Master's of Public Policy degree, which I ended up applying to at Georgetown, Duke, NYU, and the University of Michigan. So I think it's a question of asking yourself what skills you want to gain. And then you want to be really honest about what you want out of the program and what that program is going to give you because you want to make sure that it's a good match. And so I think for me, once I realized that I don't want to just silo myself within education, I'm very passionate about education. It's probably going to be either part of my career or at least just part of what I'm working towards for the rest of my life. But I want a degree that gives me a broader skill set that's more transferable because I think that's going to help me out in the workforce later on. So normally when you're applying to these schools and you want to figure out where is this going to get me, I would take a look at the career outcomes, which you can usually find on career services websites. And you can see what jobs have students gotten? What are their job titles? Where do they live? And what would that look like for me? And so that sort of gave me a better sense of, okay, I felt like this, the jobs that I would get with the master's of education degree were very similar to the job that I already had prior to graduate school. So at that point, you have to ask yourself, you know, what is the value add? What am I getting out of it if the job at the end of the line is the same as the job that I would have before? And so I decided that the policy degree would give me a much broader and more transferable skill set. And then especially adding on the MBA just opens up an entire world of opportunities that would not have been open to me otherwise. And also helps with with earning potential, because let's be real, that's a big part of the decision too. Yeah, that's very interesting that you mentioned that, because I think that's something that a lot of people don't realize that in choosing a graduate program, you, you do need to look at that backwards, which is very different from undergrad, where when you apply, your major can still be undecided and you can change your major while you're going through it. And the outcome can vary so much from what you initially thought. So that's very interesting. And I think a very important point that you bring up that for graduate school, that approach is the opposite. And you really need to think deep of where you want to go and what your intentions are. and also the cost of it is actually going to be worth it at the end of the day. Yeah, 100%. I think I changed my major like five, six, seven times. I, I feel like I was constantly trying to figure out what I wanted to do. And that's not to say that I have it all figured out now. I'm still exploring several different career paths, but I am a lot more focused than I was when I was in undergrad. And I think for graduate school, it is really important to know what you want to get out of it and to just be really honest with yourself about your goals. And if that means that it's not the right time to go now and you need to wait a little bit. I mean, I, I ended up working for five years before I went back to graduate school. So I had plenty of friends who went straight through because they knew exactly what they wanted to do early on. I knew that I did not know what I wanted to do. So I worked first. And I think the time that I spent in the workforce really helped me clarify what I enjoyed, what I'm good at, what skills I felt like I was missing, and where I wanted to go in my career so that I could then figure out where graduate school fit into that picture. I definitely agree. And yeah, I've definitely started doing the workforce first. Well, 
mainly because I really needed the money. <laughs> and then too, because I wasn't quite sure, like, if I did go to grad school, what would I do? Like, I did feel after finishing college that I was super passionate about one particular thing that I wanted to dive in right away and get that graduate degree. So I think that's definitely something for people to consider that if that's not quite something that you are ready to make a decision about, that it's worth thinking about going to the workforce first and then getting that stuff figured out. So kind of tying that back to my first question, what was that timeline for you? When did you start looking at schools? When did you start applying to scholarships and to funding? started looking, like I said, years before I ended up applying, just because I think I, so I started Teach for America out of undergrad and, and I knew that I wanted to go into grad school at some point, but because I ended up transitioning jobs, it wasn't the right point for me. So the, the original timeline started several years before, but once I got really serious, I think I mostly spent the summer sort of before what we would call application season, just looking at different programs, figuring out where I might want to go getting really familiar with schools' websites and trying to better understand what their curriculum looks like, how long the program is, what the costs are going to be, and starting to create my list of target schools. Narrowing down that list as I learned more, I went to several admissions fairs. I was living in DC, so there were several events where graduate schools would come and make presentations. And from gathering information through those sorts of sources, I narrowed down my list. For me, it was seven schools. And then just starting to track out your deadlines and deliverables. So in the fall, sort of made a list of all the schools that I was applying for, their deadlines, noted what materials I was going to need for my application, how many letters of recommendation I was going to need so that I could start getting those ducks in a row. So I would say I first started asking for letters of rec probably around September or October, spent most of October, November sort of finalizing my list, getting organized doing some of the, not quite lower lift, but some of the things that would need to be completed for my application, like brushing up my resume and things along those lines. And then November, December, January was lots and lots of essays and essay revisions and sending my essays to people for feedback. And then submitted everything by January, started getting responses in March. And so these applications, these are the ones that you mentioned were that holistic approach where they were also being used to determine funding from the school. But what about any sort of external type grants, scholarships? How did that play into that timeline? All of the scholarships that I ended up applying for were institutional. This was just sort of how it shook out with the MPP programs that I was applying to. If I had been applying to business school at the beginning of the application process, because I didn't actually add on business school until after I had accepted my MPP. So if I had been applying to business school, there were a couple external scholarships that I would have applied for. For the MPP, it was all institutional. So schools had some schools did not have any extra things to apply for. They just evaluated my application. And then based on that, I just kind of had to wait and see what I got. And several schools that I applied for did have external scholarships and fellowships that I was able to apply for through their websites. I know we've tossed around the word grants and fellowships. So why don't you tell us a little bit more about what those really are for some of our listeners that may not be aware of those particular terms? Absolutely. So grants are essentially just free money. Grants are money that the school gives you to fund your studies, and generally there are no strings attached. Sometimes those strings can say, you know, this is just for tuition, not cost of living, but otherwise, no strings, just free money. Fellowships can look different from place to place. Fellowships will often have some sort of professional development component or networking component or like I have, for example, several different fellowships at the University of Michigan. One of those fellowships is for women getting into business. And so there is some scholarship funding that is associated with it. Uh, it's different from student to student. So I think the lowest amounts are around ten to 15000 and then they go up from there. So that's a partial scholarship. There's networking. We get all sorts of career resources, access to different employers through that. So that fellowship kind of combines money and professional development. I have another fellowship that is essentially just professional development. So it was for a student who has an interest in education policy. Through that fellowship, I'm doing a number of research projects with 
state and local government on education policy issues through one of the research centers here. So my internship over the summer will be via that fellowship and they pay for the internship. So that's the only funding is the funding for the internship. It doesn't give me anything for the school year. And then (laughs) I don't know how I saved this one for last, but I kind of was building up to this. I also have the Rackham Merit Fellowship, which is a completely full tuition, room, board, health insurance scholarship that covers every single penny of my studies at the policy school. So that is to say that fellowships can either be funding, professional development, or any combination of both. And you can get multiple fellowships at one school, which I have several fellowships that all look very different from each other. That's super awesome. And just to make sure we're on the same page here. So these fellowships, did you apply to them separately from the application to the school? Or was that also involved in that same application? With these, I did not apply. These were just part of my application. They were things that the admissions officers saw when they were were reading my application and they said, you know what, this student really fits the profile of who we're looking for. So I think what you want to ask, though, is what the schools are looking for so that you have a sense of what their priorities are. You know, are they looking for students with certain backgrounds Are they really trying to recruit students from diverse backgrounds, which might mean racial diversity? It might mean they need more women in their program. It might mean more first-generation college students. There are a lot of different identities all of us hold that can be really valuable to schools. And all of that is just part of the application process. So these were all things that the admissions officers just saw as they were reading my application that happened to resonate with what they were looking for in their school and matched the experience that I had before graduate school. And were you aware of those different kind of fellowships being offered by the schools? Is that something that maybe you could find on their financial aid website or something that you can then use to sort of tailor your application a little bit more this way or that way? I am not going to lie to you. I had no idea about the RMF fellowship at the University of Michigan when I was applying. I did not know until I got my admissions letter and I saw a very big number included with it. And I made my friend read it for me to confirm that I was not, in fact, hallucinating. Um, So I did not know when I was applying. If I had been more diligent in my research, I'm sure I could have figured it out ahead of time or known that this was a priority of theirs. But some of that I did know through other schools. So I knew, for example, that Duke gives merit funding to 100% of admitted applicants for their MPP program. So as soon as I learned that, I was like, well, Duke is definitely on my list then because they're going to give me money. Um, So some of them I knew about, others were a total surprise. When you were going through this whole process, did you have somebody that was helping you along the way? Was it just you and Google and just trucking through it? Definitely did not go through it alone. There was definitely people that helped me out along the way. I think a lot of it was pretty self-directed. You know, nobody's really holding your hands and helping you make sure you reach your deadlines. So I do think it's important to stay really organized and make sure that you're staying on top of the different things you need to take care of. For me, it was just talking to a lot of my friends that had been in similar programs before, but also just finding students that were at the schools that I was looking at and saying, you know, what did you do when you were applying? What steps did you take? What do I need to be doing? And trying to keep myself accountable that way. So what are some tips and lessons learned that you can offer after having gone through this regarding graduate school scholarships and funding in general for our listeners out there that may be thinking about this grad school for me? How can I make sure that I can pay for it? What can I apply to that can help me pay for it? A couple of things that I would recommend. One, do your research. Talk to the schools. Ask them what percent of their students receive funding for their program. Ask them what the average and median amounts of funding are so that you know what you can potentially expect in terms of a financial aid award. But then also ask what programs exist while you're a student. So at University of Michigan, which is where I am now, I have a full ride for the policy school, but I do not have a full ride for the business school. So I would have to take out pretty considerable loans, which I may end up having to do. I'm still not entirely sure. But my hopeful plan is that I'm going to get what's called a graduate student instructor position, which is essentially a TA at any other school. So I would help a professor with their class. I would, depending on the class, either lead my own discussion section or just help with grading and assignments and helping the professor on the back end. And at the University of Michigan, those are fully funded with stipend in healthcare. So if you can get one of those positions, you can get a full ride. So even if you get your funding on the front end and the school doesn't offer you as much money as you thought you might have needed to make that school possible, there can be a lot of things like that that happen later down the line. So 
I would definitely ask about funding at the beginning of the process, but also when you're a student. And if there are things like research assistantships, teaching assistantships, graduate student instructor positions, anything as a student that can help financially with your transition. And then the third and final piece that I would be remiss if I didn't talk about is that you should always negotiate your financial aid packages. I think people don't realize this. I certainly had no idea until I heard this from students before me, but just like a job expects you to negotiate and they build in wiggle room, schools expect you to do that too. And so it feels very uncomfortable and awkward, but it is something that ultimately can help you get a lot more money. So basically what I ended up doing was I I had all my offers and I was very fortunate. I had several offers on the table. A couple of the schools gave me pennies on the dollar, uh, but some schools gave me very generous packages. And so those are what I was able to use to sort of negotiate and bargain with. Essentially went to the school that at that point was my top choice and said, I really want to come here. I have had a great experience interacting with all of you guys. Like this school really seems like the best fit for me, but I'm being offered more money from school. Why? Are you able to do anything as a first generation college student? Costs are extremely important to me and I want to make sure that I'm able to afford this investment. Is there anything you're able to do to help increase this offer and make the school more affordable? Some schools will have non-negotiation policies, but most schools will say, let us see what we can do. And so I ended up getting Duke to go from originally about a two-thirds tuition. I got them to offer me a full ride just based on going through that negotiation process. I felt very guilty when I turned them down, but that's to say that you should always, always negotiate. That's awesome. And those are very great tips that I hope our listeners make a note of when they're getting ready to go to graduate school. I know all of it seems really overwhelming and intimidating when you're going through the process, but just remember that grad school is an investment. And as much as you are investing in the schools, they are also investing in you. It's a mutual process. You need them to get where they are. They can't operate without you and they want you in their cohort. When you're working through the applications, I think just be really honest with yourself about what you want to get out of the school and what you think you have to offer them. And I think that has really big implications for how much money you end up being offered as well. Because I think that if you can really speak to what you think the school is looking for and what makes an ideal student sort of in their eyes, that makes you a lot more attractive to end up receiving scholarship or fellowship offers. Well, Heather, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast today. It was definitely a pleasure to have you. Yeah, absolutely. I am always happy to help. And hopefully this gave some good nuggets of wisdom that students can use going into the graduate school application process. As you've heard from our guests, scholarships are a useful financing resource for school that, although may take some of our own effort, can greatly benefit us in the long run. In our quest to apply, high schooler Mohammed reminds us to be authentic when applying and to get through the self-doubt you may feel when you first get started. College student Jennifer emphasizes that scholarships often come with additional benefits beyond just the monetary value, and graduate student Heather explains how she was able to secure funding for her master's through fellowships and doing her research. Saving for college is no easy task, but hopefully applying to scholarships can help bring you a step closer. We have additional resources on our website, including our own list of scholarships that we recommend, so check that out at howtocollegefirstgen.org. Also, make sure to check us out on social media where we continually post resources. Thanks again to our speakers, and thank you for tuning in today on How to College for First Gens. Remember, you are not alone in this journey. Until next time.